You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Amen. Amen. Today, guys, is uh, Palm Sunday. It's a day traditionally uh, where a large number of churches will be remembering the account of Jesus's entrance into Jerusalem, often referred to as the triumphal entry. Uh, And the crowd are uh, throwing palm fronds and branches as well as their own kind of cloaks down onto the road as a mark of reverence, uh, as if to a conquering king uh, preparing the road for the king and shouting Hosanna which means save or rescue and actually they're saying Hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord which is a quote from Psalm 118 verse 26 and if you read on a few more verses there's a little indication of what Jesus is actually doing here when it starts to talk about sacrifice. Uh, and they're shouting this, Hosanna, Hosanna, for the one who would, in their minds, be Messiah, Messiah, who would save them from Roman rule, from Roman oppression, set them free from their circumstances. And they're ecstatic in expectation. They're, they're overjoyed to receive him. And imagine that they've just heard the news that he raised Lazarus from the grave after three days and so they are like bonkers excited to see this king come into the city and yet Jesus didn't operate within their expectations instead of a king riding like a a mighty white horse with a sword in hand he, he rode a humble donkey and at this point in time even the disciples didn't understand the significance of that donkey instead of coming to save them by force from roman rule and oppression he came to save them from themselves from hypocritical religion and from slavery to sin Now, within seven days, this same crowd would be calling for blood, shouting, crucify him. I wonder how many people across the world right now wouldn't consider themselves to have faith and yet are calling out from their hearts a kind of sense of save me right now kind of a a hosanna in these circumstances that they might not know who or what they are calling out to but they're willing to turn in almost any direction that may offer something that looks like hope and relief wouldn't we all welcome the person or the thing that could rescue us from these current circumstances and put things back to normal we reset the clock wouldn't we welcome that if somebody could come up with a vaccine wouldn't we line the road for that vaccine wouldn't we celebrate and applaud the rescuer from coronavirus would we find that that we would naturally gravitate towards rescue saying in our hearts hosanna save me save my health save my finances, save my normal, wouldn't we do whatever to pave the way for such relief? Wouldn't we do that with such great 
joy and expectation? Well, Jesus Christ is saviour. He is our rescue. He is our security. He is our relief and he is our vaccine. Not, not just from current circumstances, but from everything. Fully, completely, the whole lot, all of our failure, all of our weaknesses, all of our sickness, all of our anxiety, all of our shame and all of our sin. So my questions today is, or are rather, how will we prepare the road of our hearts to receive him? And are we prepared to welcome him on our terms or will we insist upon our own terms? So we're going to turn in a second to Luke 3 verses 4 to 11. Now this isn't a traditional, I think, um, uh, Palm Sunday scripture, but it is talking about preparing the way for the Lord. In Luke's gospel, we read the account of John, who's known as the baptizer, John the Baptist, preparing a road for Jesus. So this is Luke 3, 4 to 11. And it says, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. So here's Luke writing about John, who is quoting Isaiah. And this is the quote, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight. And the rough ways made smooth. And all people will see God's salvation. And salvation is the word that the Bible uses for rescue or relief, or saving, hence why Christians will talk about being saved, because it is the active taking part in salvation, being saved. And to continue, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptised by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves well we have Abraham as our father for I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children of Abraham the axe is already at the root of the tree and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut off and thrown into the fire what should we do then the crowd asked and John answered anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none and anyone who has food should do the same and that's kind of where we are now <laughs> like sharing food with those in need in our town it is the hashtag love your neighbor here but some of the main things I want to pick out today firstly is this that, that the word says all people, all flesh, will see God's salvation. Uh, the offer of rescue is not limited to one set of people. What John is saying is that salvation, uh, for whom John is preparing the way at this point in time, is not exclusive to the Jews, but open to every human being, regardless of culture or tribe or tongue. And you might be thinking, if you know a bit about the Bible, about biblical history, you might be thinking, what about the covenant? 
if you know anything, you might remember that God has made a promise to the Hebrew people, the, the Jews, that is referred to as a covenant. Now, this isn't a promise like I promise to call you next week or I promise to pay you back just as soon as I get my finances in order or I promise to wash up the dishes tomorrow night. It, it's actually more like I promise to love and to honour till death do us part. It's, it's like that kind of legally binding contract. It, it carries pre-agreed and binding conditions from both parties. But now, John seems to be suggesting to the Jewish crowds in front of him that trusting their ancestry, trusting their religious observance is not enough. How so? Surely God never breaks his promises. Well, he doesn't. He hasn't. <laughs> but the covenant has been broken. In, in fact, it's been broken time and time and time again, repeatedly by these chosen people, by one half of the, the parties binding that covenant. It it's actually is similar to being in a marriage relationship, which is a covenant relationship, where, where you commit multiple affairs. And if that were to happen, isn't it then up to your spouse to decide whether they honour their side of the covenant or not? Because, to be honest, on your side of the covenant, at that point, if you've had multiple affairs, has already been eroded and crumbled and ridiculed. And yet the amazing thing about God is that he has already demonstrated great patience and kindness. And even now, he continues to do so. Even as he's forming a new covenant, he's not abolishing the first. He's choosing to honour it. Firstly, in that Jesus appears as a Hebrew, as a Jew, to Jews. And he doesn't throw away the first, he completes it. To achieve everything that they should have done, he completed their half of the covenant on their behalf. So he fulfills, Jesus fulfills the terms of responsibility from the first covenant on their behalf and on our behalf. So this rescue is on the table for both you and I, regardless of our heritage, our ancestry, our upbringing, our social demographics. And whether you're watching this live now or whether you're one of the people that will watch this later on, I want you to know that this rescue is on the table. It is an offer that is there for you, regardless of who you are. The salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ is available to you, whether you're a Jew or a Buddhist or a Muslim or an atheist or whatever, whether you're self-reliant or dependent, bold or timid, strong or weak, whether you're a kind person or you're filled with murderous rage, whether you're young or old, male, female, gay, straight, black, white, it doesn't matter. God so loved the world that he sent his son. Do you see that? The world all flesh. Now, listen carefully. Am I saying that everybody will be saved regardless of who they are, regardless of how they live, regardless of what they do? Emphatically, no. Because that would be the same as welcoming him on our terms. 
expecting him to act in the way that we want him to act. And we can't dictate to God who God should be to us. He is God. He's the one who tells us how we should be as humans. It just doesn't work that way. Look, if I'm in trouble in the sea and I need rescue, I am in no position to negotiate with the RNLI. I'm not in a place where I can insist upon how I'm rescued. I just need rescued. So all people, and this is the interesting bit, will see salvation. And we sing, we sang it last week. One day, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And one day, every knee will bow before him. So everyone who is living Everyone who has ever lived and everyone who is yet to live will see visually his salvation. They will see his rescue in effect. They will see this opportunity to be saved. They will see it, but not everybody will be saved. Why? How does that work? What, what kind of good God would condemn? What kind of just God would do that? Isn't that actually a bit harsh? Well, again, no. He's not acting harshly here because rescue can be refused by the rescuee. And you might be thinking, well, shouldn't he save everybody regardless of if they want it or not, regardless of whether they want to be rescued or not? No, because salvation is not dominantly forced upon you. I I mean, actually, what kind of God would do that? And not give you the choice. So this rescue is activated by an action on your part. And that action is called belief. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. That whoever believes in him should not perish. Whoever believes. That's the active word. God did not send Jesus to condemn you. But to rescue you. And, and that's what a good, just God does. He fulfills on our part the terms of that covenant promise. So what about condemnation then? Well, whether or not we take up the offer of rescue is up to us. Without it, we are already perishing. We're already heading to destruction. That's what it means by being in condemnation, that we are perishing, we are in destruction, and we haven't yet taken the lifeline to save us from that. If I'm drowning, and in between my gasps for air as my head bobs up and down, and I I see a hand reach out to save me, I'm going to take that hand. But of course I can choose not to. I can say, no thanks mate, I'm going to try and fix this myself. I can say, no you're alright pal, I'm going to wait until someone else... Uh, comes to rescue me. No offence, I don't like your methods. Perhaps I think that my ability to tread water is pretty rock solid. Perhaps I don't like the conditions of the rescue. Perhaps I, I don't like the person who offers their hand to me. Perhaps seeing the hand reminds me of my failings, makes me feel silly for getting into trouble in the first place. And perhaps that hurts my pride and I want to get myself out of trouble. I'm fine, thank you very much. Or perhaps I'm waiting for someone else's hand to appear, one that I prefer. doesn't matter. I'm still drowning. Uh, And we will all see the hand of rescue, but sadly we will not all grab hold of it. And that's what 
Isaiah and John are saying here is that all flesh, all people will see. They will all see this hand reaching out to rescue them from themselves, but some will refuse it. But honestly, who could do that? Who would resist such an irresistible offer? Well, anyone who doesn't like the terms of rescue. Uh, And this then gets into this word repentance. The the Bible describes it in this kind of way, uses the language of repentance, the action of taking hold of the hand of rescue is repentance. Now that sounds like a pretty heavy word. And if you're listening to this today and you don't know the Lord Jesus, you might find that word offensive. Why? Uh, It might remind you of fire and brimstone people just shouting out abuse at you that you need to repent. But listen, we might not like the word because it sounds like defeat. It sounds like admission of failure. It sounds like I've got to say I'm not good enough. It sounds like I need help. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly it. That's exactly the point. Repentance means change. It means change of mind. It means change of direction. It means change of focus. It means change of attitude. It means change of reliance. Quite literally, it's about turning from one thing to another, one direction to another, one worldview to another, one source to another. To turn our head, our body, every action, every attitude towards God. Repentance is to understand that we've got ourselves into grave difficulties and yet have no way to save ourselves. Repentance is to accept the terms of rescue and continue to live in a state of honouring those terms of being rescued. Repentance is to submit to the rescuer, not in a defeatist sense of the word submission, but to fully trust the power and the reach of the rescuer. We call that surrender, or in other words, stop struggling. Repentance is to let go of our own way of doing things, to look at our sin full in the face and acknowledge it and turn to him and in doing so give him everything repentance actually says i'm not strong enough to make it back to shore on my own repentance says i know that there's no other method of rescue and i gladly take your hand and follow your instruction repentance says i've sinned and i found my own gods lived on my own terms, but now I turn in belief and in ongoing trust to the King of salvation, who alone is able to save me completely. How does he rescue? How does this work? When I was 18, I I was a canoe lifeguard for an inshore rescue station on the south coast of England and I quite liked it. At that age, you know, you get to wear like a cool lifeguard's uniform and wander around the beach and, you know, chicks love it, so I loved it. Uh, But I also wanted to train as a pool lifeguard as well. And as part of the training, uh, we were put into pairs and we had to rescue each other from the pool. Now, the man that I was partnered with and that I had to rescue from the pool 
was ginormous. He was a massive bloke. And I'm not kidding, I literally sank in the process of trying to rescue him. I, I literally nearly died. And I had to have the, the lifeguard instructor jump in and save me as I was trying to save this guy who was too big for me to handle. So I sank. Now you might feel that what you've done or who you are is beyond saving. Listen, the size of your difficulty is no problem to Jesus. He's more than able to bear the weight of your sin. But much more than that, Jesus doesn't simply pull you out of the mess that you've got yourself into, like you were perfectly fine swimming around and then got a cramp and you got into trouble. Actually, what Jesus does is rewrite your entire story. And to continue to use the, the swimming analogy, he swims on your behalf. He doesn't just pull you out, but everything up until that point, he also takes upon his shoulders and does for you in the same way that he is fulfilling the covenant on behalf of us. So his rescue is so comprehensive. It's as though you never got into difficulty in the first place. You see, sin, it's not the accumulation of naughty things that you do. It's intrinsically wound into the fabric of mankind. We, we can't break free from its grip. From, from the moment that we're born to the moment we die, we wrestle with this. And without rescue, this thing is going to kill us. We're literally slaves to it. And yet Jesus saves completely. He breaks the chains. He affects the rescue from our sin. And he's taken the full weight of that upon his shoulders. That's why we shouldn't see that we've done X, Y and Z and the build up is just too much. And, oh, have I done too much now that I might have lost my salvation? Because Jesus doesn't just deal with the things that we do. He deals with who we are. Ah, and that doesn't matter how well we behave. You could have lived your life in an exemplary fashion. You still are a slave to the nature of sin, which we cannot escape on our own. So as I kind of bring this to a wrap up, just a week after that triumphal entry, this same man whom the people welcomed with joy as the saviour king was bleeding and, and suffocating in agony on a splintered cross, condemned by the very same crowds who received him with joy just a week earlier. Why? Because all too often we, we want the vaccine on our terms. We want the cost to be a cost of our choosing. But the reality is, the cost for our sin in nature was blood shed. 
And he paid that for us on that old rugged cross. Jesus brings the opportunity for the saving of every person. But he comes to the city of our hearts on his terms. And the cost is that we give him everything in humility. We surrender ourselves. We take his hand and say, you save me. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain made low. The the crooked roads shall become straight and the rough ways smooth. My question, how will we prepare the road of our hearts to receive him? Are we prepared to welcome King Jesus on his terms or are we going to insist upon our own? The, The terms of rescue are turn away. From the things that are drowning you, the things that are killing you, the things that are destroying you, and turn to the author of life who has paid it all for you. I'm just going to pray and uh, Jessica's going to join me in a minute and she will lead us through uh, the Lord's Supper together, breaking bread together. So I'm just going to pray. Father, I thank you. That through the Lord Jesus Christ, you have made a way where there was no way that we could affect our own rescue. And you came and you rescued us. Lord, I thank you that all people will see your salvation in operation. And my prayer and our prayer as a church today is that people will not just see the, the, the effect of your rescue plan, but they will make it effective in their lives as well by choosing to believe upon the name of Jesus who has paid the price in full for our sin. Not just our sins, not just the naughty things, not just the lies and the thoughts and the actions that we've done, but actually the nature of our flesh, the nature of our sin you have rescued us from. We thank you for that and glorify you in Jesus' name.